Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. While some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones and votive offerings, Jesus said, All that you see here, the days will come when there will not be left a stone upon another stone that will not be thrown down. Then they asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? And what sign will there be when all these things are about to happen? He answered, See that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has come. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first, but it will not immediately be the end. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines, and plagues from place to place, and awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. Before all this happens, however, they will seize and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and to prisons, and they will have you led before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to your giving testimony. Remember, you are not to prepare your defense beforehand, for I myself shall give you a wisdom in speaking that all your adversaries will be powerless to resist or refute. You will even be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That's kind of uplifting, right? Can you imagine coming in here, for example, It's always nice when people come to visit our church. Our church is unlocked all day, pretty much, till 6, 6.30 at night. People come visit. It's fun to be around here on Saturdays and watch people wander in during the day, or people who come for funerals or weddings or something. And it has the effect on me. I'm sure it still has the effect on you that sometimes you walk in here and you just go, wow. This is a nice place to pray. Some people describe Peter and Paul when they come in here, they say, it just feels like you're in church, you know? You like that. Can you imagine if someone were to walk in here and say, wow, look at the windows, look at the, the apps, look at those angels up there, wow, my gosh, craftsmanship, the marvel, the this, the that, wow, this is really a beautiful place, it's fit for worship. And somebody just kind of like walks out of the closet and says, Oh, you see here, Hmm. it's going to be gone one day. It's going to be ripped down. Not a stone will be left upon another stone. Hmm. All right, well, thanks for having us while it was still here, I suppose. None of us are old enough to remember either of the two times that 
the church building of Saints Peter and Paul burned to the ground. Growing up, my own parish in Oswego, St. Anne's, burned down when I was in second grade. It's kind of a buzzkill, in a way. But we can't listen to the words of Jesus in the gospel today without feeling a certain kind of weight, right? We feel the urgency of his words, that there's a kind of turning now in the way that he presents something, in the way that he's speaking. Remember that this is the last regular weekend of ordinary time. Next weekend is the Feast of Christ the King. And then there's one more week of ordinary time. So two weeks from now is the first Sunday of Advent. That's crazy to think about that we're already at Advent again. But I want you to pay very close attention in these next couple of weeks to the readings themselves because that shift is reflected everywhere in these readings. It's not just about the mission of the Messiah now on earth. The Sermon on the Mount has been completed, right? He's given those instructions. They've been sent out two by two. They've reported back to their master. And now Jesus is speaking about something heavier, something more weighty, something uh, that seems to be kind of cosmic in its relationship to us. He's talking about mighty signs in the sky. He's talking about the shaking of the earth and the famines and plagues all over the place. He's speaking not about the building up of the Christian community, but now about the unraveling of the Christian community. All because of him, he says, because of his name, because of his message, people will be brought together. And then when the going gets tough and it comes time to really put it into practice, to really come to believe in what he's speaking about, he says, it's all going to unravel. And that very few will actually be able to stand up and give testimony. So things are feeling serious because they are getting serious, that's why. And I want to warn you, though, because a lot of people use these passages, especially this one from Luke, to become the people who go around saying, Ah, famine! Ah, see, he's coming! (laughs) Ah, war! Insurrection! It's any day now, any day now! I want you to remember how the early church got its start. The early church got its start because people who knew the Lord Jesus and were changed by him went out and told people and lived differently. They went out and they lived differently and they were recognized. This is clear from the other letters in the New Testament and from historical sources that they were recognized because they lived differently. They welcomed the poor. They welcomed the stranger. They fed the hungry. They clothed the naked. They visited the imprisoned. They treated everyone with compassion, even their enemies, perhaps especially their enemies. In other words, they did what he asked them to do, and they were recognized because of it. But remember that in the day of Paul, of the early church, They expected, Paul writes this, that he expected Jesus to return in his own lifetime. And so they're not so far away from us in their tendency to say, war, resurrection, famine, plague, earthquake, it's coming, it's coming, he's coming. And now 20 centuries worth of people have come and gone. 
and the Lord Jesus has still not come back. Does that mean he won't? No. But his time is not our time, and his ways are not our ways. But this weight that we feel as we think about our culture, as we think about our political landscape, as we think about our families getting ready for Thanksgiving, getting ready to talk to um, our dearly, you know, Aunt Petunia across the table, perhaps about whatever conspiracy theory she's come up with, or talking to your uh, millennial nephew who now is enlightened and no longer needs anything that he's been given in his life, like God or uh, help from other people, or you meet people who your decisions are made in their life and you're like, what? Or people look at the decisions you've made in your life and they're like, what? And it's a very tense time, right? As we look around at the place where we find ourselves, I want you to know that these people in the early church, they were right there with us. They were right there with us. That they were worried, they were looking, they were wondering, they were having the same thoughts, feelings, desires that we are having. Jesus, where are you? Where are you, Jesus? Are you here? Are you real? Were you really telling the truth when you said you'd come back, when you went up into the sky? And by their perseverance, they secured their lives. But what all of this difficulty led to was the simple word of testimony, the witness of their life. Pope Benedict XVI was once asked, what are the greatest treasures of the church? And Pope Benedict, of course, you know, he's a great scholar, a very big intellectual. He loves uh, to read and write, and he knew a lot of cool people, and I'm sure that he loved walking uh, at night. If I was the Pope, certainly I'd be going to the Sistine Chapel at, you know, after hours and uh, sitting in there and looking around, you know. But he said the greatest treasures of the church are the one thing that really can never be discredited or taken away, that can never lose its value. He says the most valuable treasure of the church is the witness of the saints, the lives of the saints, the people who teach us by the way that they lived that this thing is possible. Holiness is possible. Complete attachment to God in a world like ours is possible. Not only is it possible, it is also extraordinarily difficult, but it's really not that hard. It just takes a lot. I want to just encourage you that as you go through these next couple of weeks and you feel us ramping up to the end of the world, to the great solemnity of Christ the King, and then all of a sudden all the lights go out. And the liturgical year matches the nature and seasons, and it's dark, and it's quiet, and it's chilly, and it's Advent. And again we wait, and again we look, and again we wonder, we ponder, are you real? Are you there? Are you with us? Are you for us? Are you near us? Are you in us? And then, of course, on Christmas we hear that magnificent message, Emmanuel, God is with us, God is for us, God is near us. I want you to pay attention and maybe start to craft in your own mind If someone were to ask me, why are you a Christian, what would you say? And be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. And say, I don't know. If that's the answer, that's the answer. But give yourself a little more credit than that. Find a way to put into words the deep connection you feel to this building. A peace that you feel here. 
a sense of hopefulness in the midst of trial that you feel when you think of the living and loving God. But consider what it might look like for you to give testimony. Because it's testimony, it's a life lived for Christ, which is filled with abundance, just as you promised. That is actually the most convincing thing that we can ever give to a world in doubt and disbelief. You see, in your pews this weekend, you have envelopes. There is a second collection today for the Seminarian Endowment Fund. And today I want to welcome a brother of mine, a son of this parish, Mr. Andrew Boguj. Um, Andrew is in the seminary. He's currently at Mundelein Seminary. And he's going to give us a brief witness or example of a testimony uh, of his own vocation, but also of the importance for the generosity to establish um, an endowment an endowment fund for um, vocations. To raise a priest over the course of the 10 or so years that it now takes, it costs per priest almost $300,000 over those 10 years. So that's a lot. But anyway, I, I would ask you to please welcome uh, our brother from this parish, Andrew Bogush, who will speak to us now.